Hi, welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast about anything and everything adoption related, brought to you by two Korean adoptees from Melbourne, Australia. So in previous episodes, in more personal moments, we've touched on how adoption has impacted us, and empirical psychological research has also found a number of adverse outcomes associated with adoption. So in my personal experience with therapy, um, at the beginning, like say 10, 15 years ago, adoption didn't really come up um, for whatever reasons. But these days, I definitely feel more comfortable and confident with a therapist who has that specific expertise. So Ryan and I wanted to talk to a therapist who works with adoption issues, and there aren't that many. So we're really excited to share this episode with you, where we chat with a therapist who works with adult adoptees and adoptive parents here in Australia. She agreed to speak with us anonymously, and the views she shares are obviously not representative of all adoption therapists. To be honest, we were also a bit nervous about this interview um, and about hearing things about adoptees that a therapist would not usually share with a client. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd be maybe reflecting on that in the back of their minds, but yeah, not, <laughs> not reflecting that back to the client. So we wondered if this interview might be a bit confronting for us and we also want to give you a heads up that certain parts might be confronting for you if you're an adoptee. So we chat with the adoption therapist about what it's like working with adult adoptees, how this work has informed her practice more generally, what particular approaches she finds useful, and her thoughts on Nancy Verrier's famous and controversial book, The Primal Wound. So for those who haven't heard of The Primal Wound, it argues that a baby's bond with their mother, established during the nine months in utero, is a profound connection. And therefore the severing of the connection between mother and child causes what she calls a primal wound. That's a very scary term. (laughs) (laughs) So Verrier believes that this wound or abandonment trauma manifests in certain characteristic behaviors exhibited by adoptees, which include social, behavioral, and academic difficulties. Verrier also claims that the two most prevalent conditions or feelings operating in adoptees are grief and fear. Unresolved grief manifests in depression and unconscious fear manifests in anxiety. These two conditions govern much of an adoptee's life. She argues that these feelings are an adoptee's response to the most devastating experience they are ever likely to have, the loss of their mother. The fact that that experience was pre-verbal does not diminish its impact. It only makes it more difficult to treat. So that that was pretty <laughs> depressing. Anyway, we'll get more into that um, uplifting stuff in the interview. I work as a, um, a gestalt therapist. I've been working with families, parents, individuals for over 20 years and um, have found myself much later in my work life working with inter-country adoptees and have found a very strong um, connection to the presenting issues and the people that have come to see me. Just briefly, can you um, explain Gestalt in basic terms for our listeners? (laughs) That was the one question that I didn't prepare for. Um, You know, it's a 
it, it, look, you can Google it. That's the thing mm. that you can find out. But I guess the reason why I, the reason I find it so useful is that it's it has um, a quality about the work that is very contemporary. So a lot of other modalities feel a bit old and a bit, you know, it's not, um, it's relational. So mm-hmm. it's about the relationship between the client and the therapist and the power within that relationship. So it's like a, it's a working together. It certainly tries to work around the um, idea of someone being the expert in the room and the client being the one that has to be told to or cured or healed or whatever, that that doesn't exist in the relationship. Uh, It certainly is a lot about working with the here and now. So you may go back to past experiences or talk about future concerns, but it's always about, well, how does it affect your life right this minute? and which makes it very uh, alive and very in the moment. It also says anything that happens in the therapeutic space is relevant. It's a very comprehensive type of therapy and I like it because I think it has a level of sophistication that a lot of other modalities don't have. So you mentioned um, that you've really connected with some of the presenting issues Mm. that um, adult intercountry adoptees might bring would you like to mention a a few of those main presenting issues or you know main themes Mm. that emerge Mm. uh having said that the interesting thing in this work is that the issues faced that um, adoptees bring are all part of the human condition they're not necessarily unique Mm. to adoptees but there's something about the complexity of those issues that feels very interesting to work with Mm. whether it's because I often think that maybe uh, I know this may sound like it's a kind of a broad generalization but often from my experience uh, once the child has been brought back to Australia the family has has a sense of um, counseling and therapeutic interventions that they try and bring in at a young age with the child. So there seems to be an environment of uh, it's normal and it's okay to seek support. Now I'm generalising here because that's certainly not everyone's experience. So I think that the adoptee grows up with some sense of um, awareness or understanding around the way they operate in the world as needing extra support. And so they tend to be more willing or more awake it and know that there's stuff that they've got to work with that uh, and more willing to do that even though it isn't mm. easy but it's like yeah yeah I, so that I find very interesting and of course they make great clients because they want to work they want to do the work they're aware of it so right um, yeah. but you're talking about specific issues aren't you is that what you wanted a bit more <laughs> maybe what do they come with well so a lot of us have heard of the, you know, the seven core issues in adoption oh. um, that apparently impact all members of the adoption triad, adoptees, um, birth parents or natural parents and adoptive parents. So off the top of my head, <laughs> they are um, trust, loss, intimacy, rejection... Shame, control, mastery, identity. Mm. So that's yeah. more than seven, but the, yeah. Abandonment? Mm. No. Is it abandonment? I think, 
<laughs> well, that I would think yeah, is a big so one. <gasps> is I that why you forgot it, Ryan? Maybe like or captured Canon. within rejection. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe. maybe I'd, anyway. And where did this come from, this issue? Um, it's really um, comes from this really quite old article, I think, back from the 80s. It's Kaplan and Silverstein, I think. Originally. Okay. I think they were social workers. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I could say that that's, that's it. That's a human experience, mm. really, isn't it? All those things. I wonder if what, what the difference is that, or why they needed to be named or identified was because, and I'd be interested to hear both of your um, input on this, that what underlies adoption is this idea that you'll actually have a better life with your new family. Mm-hmm. And so maybe though that it isn't seen that you would have these issues that every other human being has. I don't know, mm. but um, whether that's why it was important to name those things because there's this general sense that, well, what do you mean? You know, you come into this new family, you'll be much better off. But do you find that there are, like, some, you know, recurrent issues amongst um, your adult adopted Mm. clients? Mm. Or or do you think that um, you can't generalise in that way that that actually um, all your clients, individuals, are just, yeah, just dealing with things inherent in the human condition? Hmm. I, I suppose if I put it this way, that what I see is that there is something that I don't think we can dispute happens when a baby is taken away from its birth mother. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, that is at such a deep spiritual, psychological level, apart from the physical aspect mm-hmm. of it, that I don't know if that can ever be... I don't want to use the word healed because mm. I'm, that's not I think that's a given that there's that I don't there's nothing you can do about that mm. that's just there and whilst someone in the mainstream might have an issue around abandonment yes. or rejection yes to actually I, I cannot imagine what it must feel like to know that as a truth and a reality for most of us we were abandoned in you know, that our parents maybe weren't there for us, couldn't be present in their parenting, were perhaps uh, unwell or all sorts of things that that prohibited them from being really present to their children mm-hmm. and or, parent well. Or perhaps divorce, yeah. the experience of feeling abandoned by one parent. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that's right. Um, so those, And those things are real and they mm-hmm. are very painful. But I cannot imagine what it must be like for adoptees to, so we can know that on some level and be fearful of being abandoned because it felt like that but to actually know it because someone actually did abandon you mm. you were left mm. I, on all those levels I just can't imagine what that must be like and I imagine that's where a lot of the pain and wounding if you want to call it that might stem from Do you, do you find that a lot of adoptees are unwilling to accept that fact as you've just described it? Um, I guess in my practice I might not articulate that so overtly Mm. and you also have to take into consideration that someone would only come and see me if they are already wanting to make sense of something that's happening and that can be helpful for someone to hear that this, this, this whole, this 
whatever it might be that they're experiencing could be traced back to an event. Um, but I don't, there might be umpteen number of adoptees that don't want to go there. I just don't see them, obviously, because they, they don't want to go there, so they don't come in. So I guess the conversation's like really quickly arrived at the primal world. Yay! <laughs> waiting and waiting and waiting, weren't we? Yes. Kind of, yeah, naturally came up. So I might just quickly explain the, the primal wound. Um, it was a book written by Nancy Verrier uh, a while ago now, back mm. in 1991, and she is an American psychologist and adoptive mother. It's a highly polemical work that talks about the impact of separating children from from their mothers at birth. And I, I'd say it's been the most influential work, perhaps, you know, in the whole adoption psychology area. But it's also quite controversial. Um, you know, I know that some therapists don't really recommend it for their clients to read and I know that's also really confronting for a lot of adoptees to read mm. yeah I read it I first read it I think maybe six years ago say and um, and it resonated really strongly and it was really emotional to get through um, because I think I really, I really related to it on a deep level and no one had so clearly articulated those things to me, mm. either, you know, through a book or mm. in therapy or anywhere. The good thing about it was that it was deeply validating in some way, even though it was so confronting. Mm. I feel like the bad student, I've only read parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've only read the first few chapters. But you you know the main premise. Well, then. yeah, and it's been something that I've been meaning to read for ages, just because it constantly comes up in like yeah in the literature. Um, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about it. I mean, I I think like I'm just reading it as like one perspective, I guess. And it's you know how useful is it, how unhelpful is it, and that's really. The kind of spectrum that I'm trying to judge it on. I think part of the general difficulty is that, like when you said earlier, um, I can't imagine what that would be like. I also know that that like if I try and think about what it would be like, that's as an adult, that's as someone you know who understands a little bit more about what that might be like for a child. But when you are that child and you have no awareness, I have no memory of it, and then that's when it starts to get really like, oh yeah, I could take Verrier's account to be true. I have no way of verifying that. I can only you know, judge whether or not it kind of resonates with me now or not. But it's one of those things where you just, it's like not a yes, no thing for me, I guess. It's much more how useful is it or how much does it resonate? And I'm aware that in the in my work, uh, I have to respect that in each individual. So I might think it's very important to have an experience or work on some way of um, making contact with what that felt like. Mm. But that's not my purpose. So for those who want to somehow go into that place, for those who don't, you know, it's 
it's important as a clinician to be respectful of where the client is willing to go because someone might present with exactly what you've said, Ryan, and it may be that it is, you know, I might think it's so painful to go there that that person, that individual, is not ready to. And then I have to respect that. So it's not even about you have to go there in order for you to have a fulfilled life or somehow you've got to heal the wound or whatever the assumption is. But I certainly understand what you're saying, Hannah, about for you, reading it, it was just the right time. You read it and it really resonated. Well, Ryan, you might read it when you've got children or, you know, some other milestone or something and think, yeah... This is this is really true. I wonder if it's gonna kind of mirror that. Sorry to cut you off, but you know how like that phenomenon where adoptees know they're adopted, but then all of a sudden something switches and they're like it, it becomes really, really, really significant to them, and not just something that you know was in the past. Mm. Mm. And like you know mm. what I mean? Like I feel like I've met lots of adoptees, and I was probably like that too. Like when I first met you, Hannah, going from I'm adopted and whatever. you know we all come from somewhere I don't know yeah and then all of a sudden adoption just takes on a different kind of significance Uh, yeah yeah and maybe it'll be the same thing with a primal wound maybe you know I was like that too yeah by the way like when I was about 19 20 I met a couple of other Korean adoptees who were a bit older like maybe in their mid-20s and one of them had just gone back to Korea and they'd, they'd both done a birth family reunion and, you know, one of them was talking about going to live in Korea and, um, you know, showing me this, like, Korean grocery store. And I was like, this guy is so weird. He's, like, obsessed with Korea. It's like, <laughs> it's not a big deal that we're adopted, <laughs> you know. I just wasn't interested. It was completely, it was not on my radar. So mm-hmm. so I, I get it too, even though I seem, like, really <laughs> so involved <laughs> with adoption stuff now. <laughs> And that, but that's the that's the, the the process of and the phases of our existence. That uh, you know, at certain times in your life, you don't you just want to live. You don't want to necess- when you're younger, not necessarily immerse yourself in trying to make sense of something. You know, that's why if I look at, for instance, if we're talking about trauma and traumatic experiences here, mm. when you you know this whole thing around sexual abuse child sexual abuse and this oh yes but how come you you were 40 when you remembered it you know this mm. this suspicion of it took you that long to talk about it or to tell someone or because it does take that long you know for a long time it's kind of in the back in the same way you're describing these things can be in the back of our consciousness right because mm. they will get in the way of living if they were there every moment and for some people it is and then it's very difficult but you know and then it will surface I do believe if there's something unresolved it will surface but it can only do that when that person is ready even though they may not feel ready and it's a crisis right uh, it does indicate something of their capacity I think I believe of their Mm. capacity to work with it so you don't push anyone into anything. Yeah. You know, so I might know all about primal wound, but I'm certainly not going to push a client into that space. How do you think the, the ideal way to engage with a primal wound would be? Hmm, um, good question. 
there are times where I have said to a client, have you read that book? Mm. Just ask the simple question and then I'll wait for the response. And it's been, no, not interested, or do you think I should read it? Oh, maybe I will. Or, but it, yeah, I don't know how I would do it otherwise, uh, other than maybe suggest it as a study group book, which is not, it's not like reading The Hobbit or something, is it all? <laughs> I think that can be it's great. A heavy, it's a heavy, yeah. it would be, a, well, yeah, it provides a focal point. And she is talking about something that's very, um, that um, I don't think is much in the mainstream. Mm around the importance of the mother-baby bond. So you think that even, just to, just to confirm, even the title for you, The Primal Wound, and, mm. and the idea that you have a wound that may never be fully healed but that you become aware of it and you manage it and you um, tend to it occasionally, mm. but you, you live with it, that mm. you... Mm. That, that, that's... Um, that's not at all overstated for you. No, and I think some of the reasons why some uh, professionals may not recommend it is I think they may be worried that the client is left with a feeling of hopelessness or there's nothing I can do then. If this is what happened to me as a baby and I'm stuck with this wound, what's the point? I think that might be part of the concern. Yeah. But it's like I had a young adult adoptee who I was seeing for a while and she'd uh, found was in a, a new relationship and her partner her new partner wasn't quite sure how why she had the responses sometimes that she had so I said mm. do you want to bring him in and we can have a discussion and so he did and it was wonderful because wow. he could hear her talk about why she does certain things and where the responses are coming from and uh, I said to, and I said to them reluctantly mm. But I did say that because I think the question was, is this how it's always going to be? Yeah. You know, which, fair enough. But I did try and explain to them that uh, it's not as though it's always a disaster Mm. being in a relationship with someone who's been adopted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because that can be the implicit message. Yeah, that you're... Uh, you are now with someone you're innately who's, flawed. Oh, yeah, yeah and that you're never going to get better and life is just going to be really bad and you've always got it. It's like a, if I can use that word, disability mm. for mm. the partner to be, you know, to think about. But more that this will pop up from time to time in yeah. your relationship and it'll be around those significant milestones around... Um, a commitment to the relationship mm. if you get married and then when you have children mm. not that that it will happen but to be mindful of that so I think that's where it's useful yeah but I don't think it's a death sentence no I think that's um <laughs> a fine line though sometimes <laughs> you're just going to go away now and hide not come out again it's not a death sentence. <laughs> but do you think that's like a a fine line or you know like um between being aware and being mindful of um the impact of certain experiences um and you know to be aware of say your own behavioral patterns and then yes not to feel damaged or flawed because i think for adopted people you know, when you at a very young age, you, you might have drawn this false connection of like, oh well, there must have been something wrong with me if yeah. I wasn't um, kept by my adop- my by yeah. my birth family. Yeah. Um, 
I was, I'm just curious because I think um, this is something that I think about for myself sometimes. But sometimes that's a delicate balance. Of course. And what I, how I want to respond to you, Hannah, is what if there is something wrong with you? Mm. You know, what if that's true? <laughs> because really, the question isn't. The question is more about. What if you are flawed? What if that's the truth? Because I know that for a lot of adoptees, that's kind of either an unconscious or a very conscious held belief. Yes. That why yes. would someone give me away, really, the most important person in my life? Mm. Why would I be given away? There must have been something I did or something about me. Something lacking. That I, you know, they, you know that, that must, that's a very painful, mm. painful place for a baby, let alone, you know, almost life-threatening, really. And so for me, therapy or counselling is really about accepting what is there. So if that's how you feel, what, it's not so much, well, how are we going to get, how are you going to get rid of that feeling? Because mm. that doesn't work. It's never going to happen. Um, but more to flip the question around and say, so what if you are flawed? Mm. Why does that... Why is that such a terrible thing? That would be the interesting question for me. The danger, I think, maybe, of... It's a really obvious point of thinking that the primal wound is a death sentence or is only applicable to adoptees. Mm is that it makes everyone else, it makes non-adopted people sound totally normal and like completely healthy and like there's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> and that's that's a false dichotomy. That's not true. <laughs> so yeah. I guess everyone has their sets of challenges and things to work through or things they present with. And mm. maybe for, mm. for adoptees, it's just a slightly different mm. version of that, but it's not, it's not as if everyone else out there is like, Absolutely no. <laughs> not, no. And I, and, and I think that's where the book resonated for me is because of my interest in parenting and working with families is that this isn't just affecting the adoptee. I mean, she talks about it because of her personal experience. Mm. But many of us have believed this for a very long time for every baby that's born that from... You know, I remember reading a paragraph from a... It was a book on parenting, but it was a paragraph from a very old parenting manual, if you want to call it that, from the 1920s, that said, as soon as you bring your baby home, put them in the nursery, which should be as far away from the parent's bedroom as possible. Mm. Put the baby in the nursery and don't go near the baby unless you feed or change the baby. Because otherwise you are mollycoddling the baby if you give it too much attention, you know. Or So those were the practices up until probably about the 50s. Hmm. And then that changed a bit. But still this idea that a woman has the baby, the father's not even allowed to be there and uh, be present to the birth. And the woman has the baby, and I'm talking about a traditional family here, uh, and then the baby's whisked away to the... It, either the mother's so drugged up or filled with whatever that she doesn't even know what's happening because supposedly the hospital has to intervene. She has this baby by force or how often is, do natural births happen anyway and then the baby's taken away and disappeared and looked after in the nursery 
because the mother needs to sleep and the mother needs to recover and the baby's fine. So that's the general attitude mm. that even to separate the baby and mother at that point is not seen as... So that's where her, her story really resonated for me because I think the, the stuff that's coming out around inter-country adoption and the impact... I think is general. I don't think it. I think the intercountry adoption community has is really gift to us about really um, researching what happens when you take a baby away from its mother at that crucial point. So, did you come across the book when you started working with adoptees? Yes, and in mainstream, I hadn't read anything like that. I mean, slowly, slowly, some people, you know, obviously. Research is showing that, and more and more babies being born in hospitals. That's more. That's the most important thing to keep the baby skin on skin contact, mm. keeping the baby with the mother. But you know, I don't know how general that is. You hear about it, but I don't know in practice how much that happens in hospital. In I'm only talking about hospitals because that's the potential for intervention and interference. And so I, I think that's also why I was really impressed with the book is we have a whole world out there. So coming back to what you were saying, Ryan, the non-adoption community, those babies would also have a sense of loss, abandonment, shame. Maybe the flawed isn't so pronounced, uh, but still that baby, having spent all that time in the mother's womb, mm. and then to come out and be whisked away to some sanitised environment with strange people around it nursing it you know I think that's traumatic too mm. except the difference is that that baby has the potential of reconnecting with its birth mother right and uh, working through the attachment so you know in my personal case and I think in a lot in a lot of adoptees cases there's also the foster mother as a kind of second mother before an adoptive or second caregiver, primary caregiver before the yeah. adoptive family. Yeah. Can you speak a bit about, I guess, the, the impact of that relationship? Mm. Well, actually, no. Uh, uh, a colleague many years ago told me that she would only adopt from Korea because they have this particular... Um, way of managing the adoption process mm. that the child doesn't go into or an orphanage until they're three and so in that time they're waiting to be adopted they're with the foster family and she saw that as a much better solution to where to this process for the for the baby um, I guess it's that it's another attachment that can either be very positive and at least give the child some sense of belonging, mm. but then that also is ruptured yeah. at some stage. And I, su I suppose really, because I asked that question to you, what if you are flawed, Hannah? Mm. You know, what if there is something wrong with you because you were adopted? What if, you know, really the work of therapy is including everything into the process and into who you are and assimilating all parts of you and just coming to accept those parts as there mm. without having to always fix it or make it better or something's wrong, I've got to fix it, but just this is how it is. 
So the same with adoption or whether to use that model or this model is it's not so much whether one thing is better or not but more that, and I know this is a big ask, that it's all done with a certain level of awareness. So that the, and this is a big ask and it's not happening so Mm. it's a bit of a fantasy. But if the, what do you call the children's home or where the baby is born, there's Mm. a level of awareness about what's happening for that baby so that all their processes and ways of managing that are informed by that. And so then when they're placed in the care of a a foster family, that awareness is there as well. And so there's, you know, preparation, there's... So even now, you know, this idea of talking to a baby and telling a baby what's about to happen, Mm. for some people that might sound really weird. Yeah. But to be... Yeah, to always be saying, we're now going to... You are now going to go and live with this other family, and they will, you know, to be, to really be aware of the impact of these different uh, ruptures. Yeah. And then, of course, the best thing of all, I mean, the best thing is if we can keep the baby with the, with its birth mother. Yeah. But really, after that, then the adoptive parents, because yeah. in Australia you have to be married mostly to adopt, um, are really aware of what that what's happened to this baby child Mm. and so they are completely understanding and I don't think that happens that also could be a fantasy of mine and it may not be possible yeah and that's a whole other yeah you mean to educate the adopted yes and prepare them really prepare them for what they're about to take on well I have to say um in my experience of um talking to groups of prospective adoptive parents or um, yeah, couples who have been approved as parents for inter-country adoption because um, yeah, occasionally I'm invited to speak as an, as an adult adoptee. I think unfortunately sometimes those parents are just, I don't know, so excited about um, receiving this child mm. that they're a little bit um, like blinkered to to hearing. Uh, you know, it, I think sometimes I feel like they hear my experience, and you know, I try to be very balanced, of course. Um, and they they think, oh, that's that's not really relevant, or like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't know, like I mm. just I feel like mm. sometimes it falls on deaf ears. Mm. Yeah. Do they just do they just want your blessing? Or something? I'm not really sure what they want from me. I'm not even. Sometimes I feel like maybe they're just. You know, they're sitting through this like yeah, kind of long compulsory yeah. education program sometimes. Mm. And um, but I think too they have this idea that it'll be different for me. Yes, I yep. won't be like the others. I really, really, really want this child. Yeah. You know, I feel you know that you hear it all the time. I feel as though I was made to adopt a child and take care of adopted children rather than have my own you know this yeah this kind of thing and and I'm not suggesting that that isn't true but I get what you're saying that it's much harder then for them to really reflect on um or to be a little more detached yeah and and see that these are the needs I mean I did I went to 
uh, Canada last year and there was a wonderful one-day workshop on adoption competence practice by a beautiful French-Canadian woman and an American guy who I think has been around the traps a long time, the adoption. Mm. And of course it's mostly local domestic adoption Mm -hmm. in the US, it's huge. And that's what they were speaking about. And she had this lovely diagram of a, a field. And on one side of the field, when you have a non-adopted family, non-adoptive family, you have the parent and you have the baby on each side of the field. And in the field are all these lovely flowers and things. Mm. And there is, there might be a, one landmine that the parent, on the parent side, that both are going to walk across and hit. Mm-hmm. Then you have the adoptive family Mm -hmm. where you have the adoptive parent and you have the adopted or adoptive child and the landmines are enormous because the parent has their own landmines and the baby or child has its own and so you bring those two together and they you know really activated and then she said and then we have this extra thing called special needs children and she believed that Mm. all adopted children should be in the category of special needs yeah. and then it's even more intense. Yeah. So it was this beautiful imagery of that's what a parent needs to be aware of. Yeah. Do you think, well firstly, I just to, I don't know, just want to say that this podcast is not anti-adoption and we are certainly not anti-adoptive parents. I shouldn't even need to say that but you know, we we love our adoptive parents we have good relationships with our adoptive parents Mm. but I just want to ask because you do do some work with adoptive parents um, adoptive families in general Mm. do you think there is still the prevailing belief that love is enough like I'm just going to do I'm going to try so hard and love this child so much that yeah, my case will be different. My my child won't have these issues that I hear about from like adult adoptee blogs and whatnot. Yeah, I do. Mm. I do. I really think that. Um, and again, I'm certainly not on one side or the other of the adoption debate. Mm. As I said before, I just want everyone to be as aware as they can be about what's what's going on, so they're better equipped to manage whatever arises. Mm. But there are many parents, adoptive parents, who after the process has gone through and they have the child, are completely overwhelmed by the enormity of what they've bought into, basically. Many, many, it's it's very sad. And I guess if you're looking across all populations, that happens in the generalist parenting population as well, where people naively have babies and then think oh my god why didn't someone tell me that Mm. this was going to be so hard no one told me so you know it's a bit hard to to pinpoint that it's just in the inter-country adoption community but that is something that I do hear from parents right Um, and so that that would come from I imagine uh, not really knowing what they're getting into Mm. and uh, not really being given whether you can or not. I've had many discussions with people about could they be better equipped at the beginning or well edu- more better, edu- whatever that happens, the pre-education process. Yeah. But the same that you said, that often they're not, they're a bit blinkered and they're not really taking it in anyway. Um, yeah, just really been made aware of 
And I think what doesn't help is all the, the that we only ever really see in the popular media, the sort of the fantasy story of the family of in an adoption setting. Yeah. You know, the celebrities who adopt and how wonderful it is. And uh, so that creates the myth as well. And then it sets you up as a parent. How can I possibly admit to myself or anyone else that I'm not coping? So when you want to look at shame, Mm -hmm. you've probably got shame all the way through. So you've got shame in the birth parent, Mm. often Mm. the birth mother, and if the birth father's around. Um, And then, then this child is born into this environment of shame. This baby, and then it's put into a family where generally the parents have gone through all sorts of processes to be able to get pregnant. They're much older than they might like to have been mm. when they wanted to have children. Yeah. And then there's a lot of shame and a lot of loss and grief and not being able to have their own biological child. And then they get this uh, intercountry adopted child, and then it's nothing that they expected yeah or we should just add that of course there are some adoptive parents who decide to adopt after having um, biological children yeah but yes that's true yes and and also I'd like to add that I only see the cohort that are struggling so there could be millions of people out there who are having a happy and uh, productive successful adoption experience On the basis of the primal wound, how do you see adoptees that have quote-unquote reunited with birth family? How do you see that playing out? Because we've said it's not a death sentence and it's good to be aware of it. So do you have any insight into like how that then plays out? Mm. Does that in some way ameliorate the impact of the original disruption? Is that... Yeah, maybe ameliorate or, you know, or maybe that's a fantasy or, as well oh, and maybe yeah. it's... Yeah. It's just a continuation or... Yeah, well, it, it's, it's an interest... I don't know a lot about this area, so I'll, I'd like to just say that straight off. I haven't worked with a lot of adoptees in that reunification stage, but I imagine, you know, that wound happens when pre-verbal and it's a, a sort of a very significant moment in someone's life to be separated from the birth mother. And, I th- and to have then gone through, grown up without that contact at all. And I guess some adoptees have fantasies. I think some children have fantasies about their birth mother, uh, that she was rich and when I find her, I'll be happy. You know, those sort of yeah. young children's fantasies. Um, or I'm really born from a special family and... I think adult adoptees have those too. Yeah. <laughs> Like before you reunite, you're hoping that you're royalty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, your, or your dad's a rock star or something. Not even that, but you know, like your birth mother is like beautiful and like really smart and like I don't know. Mm. Well, why wouldn't you? This like yeah. a, a role model. I think that's the fantasy that I have. Mm. Mm. Someone that I would yeah look up to and admire, and someone where you feel like. It's comforting that you've come from from that, <laughs> you know. Like you want to feel. But how do you imagine if we take it out of the adoption experience for a moment? 
and you meet someone from your village that you never knew or, or town where you were born and you meet someone tells you about this person down the road who wants to meet you you know and you haven't had those years of yearning or fantasy or whatever uh, there, why is there an assumption that you will immediately bond with someone because they gave birth to you after you haven't seen them they're a stranger mm. to you is the answer the primal wound <laughs> <laughs> the mother the mother baby is one well just that like that genetic connection means something it's like that nature as well as nurture is also important mm. I think that's why you assume that you'll connect or that there's mm. some invisible bond that will be reactivated is that also what you're thinking that somehow something will come into play as soon as you see her I think it's also for adopted people that you know you, you don't grow up with um, you know, biological relatives you don't grow no. up with generally with people that look like you so you have I think certain fantasies about what that will finally be like mm. because you've, ne you've never experienced it mm. so you're like wow I'm going to like see this person it's going to be like looking in a mirror we're just going to have some mysterious connection that you do with... Um, I think that's yeah. what it is as well. Of course, of course. And I think occasionally that's um, what some adoptees find when they reunite. Mm. Like, they, maybe, you know, just with one parent or... Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not really sure. But I, I didn't find that um it was it did kind of feel like meeting a stranger and it was very it was because it was all so surreal and overwhelming I think maybe I should just kind of shut off a bit emotionally um did you have any support yeah. before you went there um no short answer is no <laughs> we'll probably get into this <laughs> in our um search and reunion okay. related episodes but I was so so naive like looking back almost like comically so you know I just mm. had no idea what I was getting into mm. so do you think even for both of you really if you had a parent who an adoptive parent who consistently talked about your birth let's say mother mm. even though we don't ever want to forget that there's a birth father somewhere there too you know they're not so easy to find um, and that was a common topic of conversation that uh, the year, the moment that you were adopted is not a, just a moment of celebration for you or for the family but also a recognition and an acknowledgement of the pain and the loss that the birth mother would have experienced and there's talk you know it's it, it's an annual or ritual event and discussions about that and talking about the birth mother. I, I don't know how and then this may happen yeah. in other con you know in other services that might provide mm. the tracing support mm. and you'll find out I guess when you do that but I wonder about that sort of thing really preparing a child all the time about uh, talking about what do you imagine and and it doesn't mean all children will want to talk about it because mm. we know that you know, and you have to respect that but having that space available what do you imagine do you want to draw what you think mm. about your birth mother or where you were born or and and now I know it's very different 
so to when you were both adopted. Now there's much more travel back to home country and spending time there and on a very regular basis. So it might be very different. I don't yeah. know, but it might be different. But you know, just to prepare that could yeah. be supportive too to a child to yeah. have it be included in the family. I think there's a few things there. Like if I kind of attempt to break it down. Um, I think that number one, as if you're an adoptive parent and you're um, comfortable with mm. your own emotions mm. so that you're the kind of parent where you can, you feel comfortable um, to sit with your child's emotions. Mm. And um, I think that's probably the first step. So you, regardless of where these feelings are coming from or why or but just to allow that not to feel uncomfortable with things like anger and sadness and um or to just even recognize it as like (laughs) as like not like acting out behavior and like as you know in the book like as like a coping mechanism that gets like misinterpreted Mm. as like putting words in her mouth but like yeah. you know being a difficult child or something it would just just to, I, I think mm. well I think the way I was raised was a little bit like um, you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all and like oh that that your default should be just like I don't know happy and loud and laughing and like mm. running around outside or something and and like you know um, and then, and so then I think it is also important for an ad- adoptive parent to have some, to try and create the sp- space and opportunities to talk about, yeah, the birth family and what was left behind, what was lost, mm-hmm. to at least provide that opportunity. But then I think that child's kind of unconscious um, loyalty and protectiveness towards their um, adoptive parent probably often, I don't know, it, I would just assume that even if the parent was really, um, really open and, and yeah, trying to create that yeah. space, that it, the child still might not feel comfortable because no. of that loyalty issue. And that's why I said it doesn't mean the child will talk about it. Yeah. But you always mm. want to uh, convey the message that this is a place of safety in discussing things that are difficult to discuss. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm talking about a, a sort of a particular, you know, a, a goal that can often be unrealistic. Because I think, you know, one time I spoke to an adoptee and I said, what would you like to tell in the way that you have gone and spoken to perhaps? What would she want adoptive parents to be aware of? And she said, tell them to process their loss and grief before they have this child in their house. And that's why I went into the story about, you know, not being able to have your own biological child and not ever processing the loss, because that's huge. Mm. And then to go through IVF and then that's not successful. And imagine that, what you'd have to process there. And then to go to adoption as a last resort and uh, then have this child and you don't know what in heaven's name, as she describes in her book, the kind of behaviours. And uh, have no one actually support you with that then you're going to shut down. You can have a lot of shame. So the last thing that, you know, shame really is a way of shutting you off and in a way you contract into yourself. It's because it's too shameful to reach out and tell someone I'm not coping. Mm. And so there isn't the capacity 
to actually tolerate anything in the right. child because yeah. the parent is unable to tolerate much more than what they're holding. Yeah. And one thing I do know with adoptive parents is that they place an unrealistic expectation on themselves, mm. much higher than the general population mm-hmm. of parents, in being a good parent. Mm. They feel it even more acutely, that they have to be good, they have to be a perfect parent because of the, the seriousness of what they've done. Right, yeah. You know, okay. and, and it's impossible, really. For anyone to be a perfect parent yeah 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 and so you can't you know there's so much grief and loss and confusion and sadness and whatever might be sitting within them that what you're saying is absolutely right you know they do need to have that capacity to tolerate all sorts of things that the child is expressing i just have to say i've met a couple of remarkable um, inter-country adoptive parents over the years and I remember one saying to me that she had like an eight-year-old daughter or something Um, she said that occasionally her daughter would talk about um, missing her birth mother in it was like China or Korea and her this mother was just saying to me how she recognizes that her child just carries um, all this grief and that she as a parent might not ever be able to take that away and I was just I was just really impressed I just thought that was a really courageous thing to face as an adoptive mother um, to talk about mm-hmm. you know to tell me like as a stranger really um, I think there are um, adoptive parents mm, that absolutely. can really like go to those places and like mm. tolerate these things mm. anyway I just I guess wanted to add that it's always like stuck in my mind it's you know yeah it's also difficult if you're taking your cue from the child who kind of goes back to what you were saying like is not necessarily also able to like go there or say what they need or you know like because they are trying to be obedient and you know whatever and so mm. I don't know I just think it it would be incredibly difficult as an adoptive parent as well yeah. like you know my dad took me to Korea when I was five or six mm-hmm. and apparently I was like completely uninterested I was totally bored dad had to like drag me to Eastern Social and he and then I just like <laughs> sat there like we waited <laughs> and then all I wanted to do was go to the amusement park and you, you know like and <laughs> Like, now I'm like, oh, that was a really nice thing that he did. But, like, that, I mean, then, mm. like, mm. and if you're you're trying to do the best thing by the child and listen to the child's, you know, interests, their interest might only be going on roller coasters. So, you That's know, right. it's not... <laughs> and how, yes. how do you do what you think is the right thing, but yeah. also listen to the, what the child's saying? And Well, you, I think in that one moment you've encapsulated the challenge of parenting, which is... <laughs> no, it is. It's all about that balance of... This is what I think the child needs, but the child's saying something else to me, so who, you know, what do I do? And just whatever it is, be, accept the responsibility of that action. Because in hindsight, you know, well, when you tell that story, I think what a great thing your father did, even though you didn't necessarily want to be there. <laughs> but, you know, on some level that you're not maybe can't locate 
just yet or never will, something may have happened for you being in that environment that certainly wasn't so obviously conscious. But Actually, he, he has this like little story about that trip that he like loves ah. to tell, which is that we were on, because like, it was a company trip, and um, so we were on one of those big like gray line buses, right, with all... And apparently I was like looking out the window really silently and he was like, what are you thinking about? And apparently I said something like, I'm looking at my country. (gasps) It was just the two of you. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. And my dad was like, (laughs) (laughs) I have no memory whatsoever. But um, he thought that was really, really cute. And also he didn't really know what to do with that. (laughs) Very profound though for a five, six-year-old to yeah. say that. Very profound. <laughs> I have no memory of the party. <laughs> I just want to go back mm. to something that you said earlier. Um, you said that often adoptees might, um, like adoption might come to the forefront for adoptees at particular milestones or, you know, like major relationship commitments or getting married, having your own children. And so for for Ryan and I, neither of us have children, but it's something um, I've thought about. I'm curious because I think there's not actually a lot of research out there on, um, I don't know, the things that might come up for adult adoptees when they become parents and yeah, but I've just kind of generally heard that it can bring, mm. bring stuff up. Well, I've heard anecdotally that a lot of know. people um, first become interested in, like actively interested in pursuing birth family searches when they have their own kids. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And that kind of sparks yeah. that kind of mm. curiosity. Yeah, and I assume that's kind of like, oh, I should know where I come from so that at least my kids know a little bit about you know because that that's like that's your that will be your child's family history as well Mm. and like your child's genetic and medical history and everything as well it's not just yours anymore yeah Mm. but yeah yeah. and and i think it's for some adoptees what i've heard too is that it's this um wonderful anticipation of having someone in your family that looks like you Mm. have you reflected back in this baby Mm. Which I think is a beautiful thing. Uh, I, yeah, but is that selfish at all? No, I'm just kind of curious because why? Why is it selfish? I don't know. Just I mean, I guess like would that be a selfish reason to want to have children? Oh, I don't know that that was the reason to have them, but was no, one but of the, the an impact. Yeah, one of the pluses. Look, really, if you want to go down that path, I don't know many people who have babies for the sake of the baby. No, and, I, and that's, <laughs> you know, I yeah. want a baby. I want this beautiful whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I think otherwise we wouldn't um, have. No, I agree. I guess where where that question came from is that because for me, sometimes when I think about having kids, I feel like there is like this very um, kind of specific selfish perhaps desire to to like create my own family that's like separate from you know it's not my birth family it's not my adoptive family and it's just like like my line <laughs> my lineage <laughs> or something like that anyway wouldn't I <laughs> but going back to um 
<laughs> yeah, I was just curious if you have worked with many adoptees. I don't so, think yeah. that being a parent means you have to sacrifice everything and be completely not unneedy un, un or whatever mm. the word is. Mm. You know, that's not how it works. You can have children, you can adopt children, you can have your own because you want something fulfilled in you. I don't think that that's something negative. Okay, yeah. Absolutely not. You know, as a human being, you have a right to be, to feel, to have a full life and feel, feel fulfilled by your life. It's having the I will always say this, it's about having the consciousness and awareness of what you're doing. Mm. So if you adopt a child, really know the impact of that. Mm -hmm. And if you have a baby, then really research and study in whatever way works for you, what that actually means mm. to have that baby. Mm. You know, in the olden days, it was because you have to... Uh, you know, children were seen as chattels, you know, they worked on the farm and they helped out here, they were cooked and they did this and looked after, you know, there was a much more practical component to having children yeah. to pass on uh, the family fortune or whatever it might be. There were those reasons. But, you know, there is this, and again, I'm being completely, I identify this as my own personal thing because I don't think I sit very much in mainstream, that it's a vocation. Just as you may feel drawn to whatever you do in life, I think having children is a vocation. And in and of itself, something that really takes up a lot of your um, dedication. Mm. Do you think people should have extensive therapy before they become parents? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be fully conscious and aware. I mean, there are other ways of... Well, that's not, not to, be, to be... Okay, someone once said to me... Um, Children don't need perfect parents. Mm -hmm. They need parents who are striving. Right. So really that's, I would agree with that. Because I don't even know what perfect means anyway. Mm -hmm. But also that uh, you're consistently working towards something better than you are right this moment. Hmm. I think. Have you come across a lot of adoptees that uh, say a similar thing? to you about having kids and wanting maybe not a mirror for you but like you know that that would be the first person in your for some adoptees the first person in their family that's biologically related to them Ooh. is that a common thing that either of you i'd say so maybe particularly um, for people who haven't reunited or haven't you know have searched unsuccessfully and certainly generally parents i think I read this book once called uh, Parenting as a Path to Self-Knowledge and I think that's often what it can also provide for you if you can't do the work before, which, you know, is not compulsory by any means, but certainly once you have children, that's when, for a lot of people, stuff will emerge, triggers, mm. uh, or they will be, or consciously, I'm never going to parent the way my parents did, I'm going to do it differently or unconscious and just automatically parent the way they were parented. But to use that experience as an opportunity to heal their own childhood, I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think it needs to be done 
separately in some form of therapy or parenting group or something outside of the family, <laughs> like not to use the child for that, but for it to be mm. this. So if you've been adopted and you have your own child, you know, there will be triggers. It has to be because it happens anyway. Mm -hmm. And to be aware of that and know that you need to go somewhere to process that. And it can be, and I think it's a positive thing. It's not just for the child. It can be for the adult who maybe has never thought about their adoption. And having the baby is what triggers things. Right. You know, oh, wow, is that what it's like to, to feel a baby on your breast and you know, the joy of breastfeeding and the... Well that's what like you know a few of these adopt adoption memoirs that that I've come across written by people that adoptees who have kids and they describe they describe having kids I think almost I think both of them have actually said like now that I have my own child I cannot believe for a second that any person willingly gives away a child and that yeah. is extremely traumatic for them to go through mm. and that triggers up a lot of stuff. Mm. Yes and, and the question sometimes asked of me is do you think my birth mother thinks about me or you know that is mm. I, I don't know how they can't not be thinking about their adopted children mm. every day you know unless they're doing something harmful to themselves to blot out the pain yeah how how could you not be thinking of that person that's very powerful what you said right yeah so you can only imagine what that's going to bring up mm. i might ask to try and like end on a slightly more positive note um I guess if there are any things that in your experience working with adult adoptees that are there any ways in which you see being adopted as being a strength mm. or as you know mm. as positively mm. influencing someone's life mm. or strengths that you've observed I guess in the adop yeah, adoptees yeah. that you've worked with what came to me as soon as you asked the question I'll start with that mm. many years ago I read a book and I'm saying this because someone out there might know it, uh, it was about the relationship between, oh, I can't think who they were, two famous, I think one may have been a, an American songwriter in the 50s. Oh, I don't remember now. Two men. They were both gay men. Anyway, the, the, the content of the story doesn't matter, but it was something that was written by the author on the first, you know, as a sort of, preface or and it was something about that there's something about being gay and I use that as an umbrella term or queer if that's preferable but I think they would have used the term gay that means you live on the periphery of society and that means you have incredible insights into things that others wouldn't have and I wish I could remember the exact wording because it was beautiful and it was something about having a perspective that no one else can have. And that's what I remembered when you asked that question. So I think there is something about being an intercountry adoptee in Australia, because that's my only experience, mm. that you have some special insight or experience or something that makes you unique in a way that can be expressed in a very um, powerful and creative way. For the world. <laughs> well, not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Is that positive I'll enough for you? It.
<laughs> but I wish I could find the language. I feel like my language isn't really, anyway, saying how how much I want to say about that, that there's some kind of, it's like you're in two worlds or something, or some things you have at your, your fingertips, something that's unique and special. I think as well, oh, this sounds so kind of cliched, but as a community, at least, you know, the, the Korean adopted community, we are incredibly resilient. And I think we've also been really brave in being like pioneers in a sense, um, in telling, sharing our stories and like advocating for our rights and, um, and creating these communities and global connections and creating a lot of art and research and all kinds of things around the inter-country transracial adoptee experience. Yeah, and it, I guess it's also it's kind of tangential but interesting because adoption practices have slowed um, or reduced a lot, and mm. especially in Korea. So there's that, so I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but I guess for you and me, we at least, we have American elders, we don't have Australian yes. elders, but there's a kind of intergenerational thing now where from the first so-called wave, mm. those are like, they're the first generation adoptees and we have that and we are, like we, they are producing stuff constantly and we have access to that and it's, mm. yeah, yeah, it's like providing a kind of like a quasi like family history yeah. like through through their kind of cultural outputs as well, which is, I think the adoptive community is like producing lots of really interesting stuff and like also a lot of them are really like active proponents of like social justice for, for other movements and maybe that has to do with what you're saying about being sort of on the periphery and having mm. that perspective and ability maybe to empathize mm. with other groups. Mm. And, and when, because yeah. when you're marginalised, there's something about that that can be very powerful. And I guess, really, uh, and this is a generalisation because not all the adoptees I see have had very great upbringings mm. um, and can, in the end, find life a real struggle. Mm. But I think having the privilege of a good education, and grow, it's probably more about growing up in Australia than anything else where you can say and do things and you can make a difference to the world you can find a voice in the way that you're talking about now that maybe in in your country of birth might not have been possible and to, so it's more about taking up what you've got to to contribute Thank you so much for talking to us today. My pleasure. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Thanks. It's so been much. great. I feel like we really like dove deep. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So Ryan, how did you find that interview? It's pretty long. <laughs> I think it was really interesting. I think, you know, being able to get thoughts and insights of a therapist outside of, like, the context of a session, because, like, I, you know, that's not something that I think any therapist would probably say to you um, mm. when you're actually seeing them. So I also maybe expected to feel a bit more, I don't know, sad <laughs> or something. Mm. Than I personally affected. 
Yeah, I think when I was reading Very's book, I think that was that felt much heavier. That felt really like, oh wow, like this is a kind of like indelible separation that's going to structure like my life from here on out, and there's not much I can do about that. And yeah. whereas I think like getting getting a therapist to kind of talk through some of that and concretely and how you can maybe like work with it and acknowledge it like I think that was useful and not yeah I guess not as heavy as I anticipated yeah but I thought it was interesting how I think for the most part she really agrees with the theory like she does agree that we will carry a wound (laughs) yeah like forever (laughs) (laughs) I felt like during the interview I kind of um, like moved between being just in interviewer mode and just completely focused on you know following the conversation and coming up with further questions for her Um, and then also I had moments of being personally like affected by what she said Mm. I felt like I moved in between a little bit yeah and so like I felt like it's at certain points when she said something that would resonate with me I I almost went into like a client mode to be honest well that's a lot to hold I guess of you toggling between all those different positions of being interviewer and I think I was feeling like a client and yeah I think it was to be expected a little yeah with that subject matter totally and I think I was pretty exhausted after yeah. I don't yeah. even remember what I did that night. <laughs> I think I just crashed. But I think, yeah, it was a really interesting perspective. And I feel like not one that you get access to. No, we, I think we totally don't. Well, you know what would be really interesting? If anyone out there is an adoptee themselves who's also a therapist that works with adoptees, that mm. would be really cool. So yeah. send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and in general, um, we'd love to hear what you guys think about the primal wound or anything else we talked about in this episode. So, yeah, please email us at adoptedfeels at gmail. Feels with an S. (laughs) (laughs) And we really hope we didn't scare you off and that you'll tune in next time. Yes. Please come back. Please come back. Don't abandon us. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was so cheesy. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Adopted Feels. And if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and consider supporting us through Patreon.